On the night of July 14, 1881, Sheriff Pat Garrett put an end to Billy the Kid. Or did he? We're told that Billy entered into a darkened room, a pistol in one hand and a knife in the other, prompting Pat to open up fire. But is that what really happened? How do we know that the kid was indeed armed? And for that matter, how could we be sure that Garrett really killed him? Why were there no photos taken of Billy after the fact? Why was there such a rush to get his body stuck in the dirt? And did Pat Garrett ever even receive that bounty that had been placed on the kid's head? Oh yeah, we're going to bust a few long-held misconceptions on this one. Got to take a look at how well some of these rumors hold up to the actual evidence. And hopefully have some fun while doing so. My name's Josh, and you're listening to the Wild West Extravaganza. Now, the kid escaped jail back in late April, and Pat didn't make a move until late June or early July, when he got definite word of Billy's whereabouts. His first tip-off was a letter from an unidentified businessman there at Fort Sumner, saying that Billy had been sniffing around, and he got a second letter stating pretty much the same thing from Manuel Brazil. And then here comes John W. Poe with the same story. Poe, by the way, was Frank Stewart's replacement, working with them Texas Panhandle ranchers. Just like Garrett, Poe had spent time hunting buffalo and had already done a couple of stints as a deputy marshal and a sheriff's deputy over in the Lone Star State. He ran for sheriff of Wheeler County and lost, so he took a job for them ranchers. And now, working under Pat Garrett, Poe would be sworn in once more as a deputy, giving him legal authority in New Mexico. It was in that capacity that he had been in White Oaks when he received a word as to Billy's location. Figuring it was now or never, Pat set out with just two men. The aforementioned John W. Poe and the 25-year-old Thomas Kip McKinney. Ever the tactician, Garrett did not initially tell McKinney that they were headed to Fort Sumner to capture Billy the Kid. Instead, he asked that the deputy accompany him to Arizona on a business trip. Pat knew that folks would ask where he and Kip were headed, and he wanted McKinney to honestly give a little false information. Better for the locals to think that he was headed to Arizona, so that way nobody would tip Billy off. And if they did ride up there to Fort Sumner and let the kid know that Pat was headed out of state, even better. He would just lower his guard even more. It wasn't until they were clear of Roswell that Garrett finally told McKinney the truth. By the way, this is part three in a series on Pat Garrett. If you have not already done so, you may want to give the previous two installments a listen. We talk all about Pat's origin story, his life before Billy the Kid, and he and the kid's relationship. Pat and the deputies departed on the night of July 11th, keeping off the main road and traveling mostly in the dark. The three-man posse would make no pit stops at ranches or homesteads along the way. And by the time the sun was rising, they were laid up on the low hills outside of Fort Sumner, glass in the countryside. Not seeing anything out of the ordinary, they formulated a plan. Nobody at the fort knew John Poe, so they figured he could go in and fish for some intel. Garrett also gave Poe orders to travel to nearby Sunnyside and speak with a trusted postmaster, Milner Rudolph. The plan was for Poe to then meet back up with Garrett and McKinney that night a few miles north of the fort. And as soon as John trotted into Fort Sumner, it was all eyes on him. Kind of like in the movies where an outsider walks into a bar and the jukebox goes silent and everybody turns and looks. No sooner had he hitched his pony that he was approached by a small group of men inquiring as to his business. Calmly, Poe explained that he had been mining in White Oaks, but came up short-handed, so he was now headed back to Texas. Soon enough, the welcome party invited Poe into the cantina for a drink, and he obliged. 
This drink led to a mill, and for the next couple hours, Deputy Poe kind of lounged outside and attempted to nonchalantly fish for information. Problem was, every time he mentioned Billy, everybody got real quiet. Not just that, but they also became visibly nervous. Finally, Poe left for Sunnyside and gave Mr. Rudolph the letter of introduction for Pat. At first, Milner was polite, but he too became tight-lipped whenever the topic of conversation gravitated towards the whereabouts of Billy Bonney. It was clear that the postmaster was scared of the kid, and he didn't want anybody thinking that he was snitching. Pretty soon, Poe just left and met back up with Garrett and McKinney in the preordained location. The trio took refuge in a bunch of willows till nightfall, before quietly heading inside the fort to see what they could find out for Pete Maxwell. Now here, if you don't mind, I will insert audio from the previous series on Billy the Kid. Garrett and his two deputies crept in under the cover of darkness and positioned themselves among the peach trees to the north, with the old barracks building to their front and left and the Maxwell dwelling to their front and right. As they waited in the dark, voices speaking in Spanish suddenly shattered the silence. Crouching down, the deputies watched as a shadowy figure rose from the ground, quote, in his shirt sleeves, wearing a wide-brimmed hat, a dark vest, and pants. The mystery man spoke again, then jumped a nearby fence and walked into the compound. They would later learn that this was the kid, but at the time, Garrett didn't recognize him. Or at least he claimed not to recognize him. As always, theories abound. Some think Billy went in to see Paulita, others think maybe Celsa Gutierrez, or any number of his friends. Apparently, at some point, Billy got hungry. He removed his hat, vest, and boots, and made his way over to Maxwell's with a butcher knife in one hand and his pistol in the other, cutting off a slab of meat from a fresh yearling. Meanwhile, Garrett, Poe, and McKinney had snuck their way around and also approached the Maxwell house. Garrett entered alone, hoping to speak with Pete as he left the other two deputies on the porch. Seconds later, Poe and McKinney both saw the kid, bareheaded and wearing socks, and looking as if he was fastening his pants. Likewise, Billy saw them and immediately raised his revolver, Ken S. Backing away quickly into a darkened doorway, the kid repeated this question twice more in earnest. Ken S, Ken S, who is it, who is it? John Poe then stands up and approaches Billy in an attempt to appear non-threatening, trying not to scare him, but the kid disappears into the shadows of the building, the same building that Pat Garrett's in. Meanwhile, Pat had woken Pete Maxwell up and was asking him about Billy's whereabouts. That's when they heard the kid backing into the room. Pete, who them fellers outside? Maxwell recognizes the kid's voice and sits up straight in the bed and declares, That's him! At almost the exact moment, Billy sees Pat standing next to the bed. Remember, it's dark, so all the kid can make out is a large shadow. Nevertheless, he lifts up his pistol and once again lets out a startled, Kines. According to Garrett, Billy then, quote, went backward with a cat-like movement and I jerked my gun and I fired. The flash from the first shot temporarily blinded the sheriff, but he thumbed back the hammer and quickly fired a second time. Cocking the revolver for a third shot, Garrett heard a groan and held off. During all the chaos, Pete Maxwell jumped up and ran out of the room, almost getting shot by Poe and McKinney in the process. Pat follows Pete outside and tells his deputies that he thinks he just shot the kid. This was around midnight, but folks were starting to gather. Pete Maxwell returned with a candle, holding it to the window where, according to Coe, we saw a man lying stretched upon his back dead in the middle of the room with a six-shooter laying at his right hand and a butcher knife at his left. 
Garrett and his deputies entered and upon further inspection verified that, yeah, Pat had indeed killed the infamous Billy the Kid. One of Garrett's two bullets had found its mark, entering Bonnie's left side of the chest just above the heart. Celsa Gutierrez ran at Pat tearfully, slamming her fist against his chest as Paulita and Delvinia Maxwell and a few other women stood nearby, crying softly. Armed and angry men began congregating, cursing Garrett and his deputies. All night, the sheriff and his men stood guard, expecting an attack that never came. The following day, Garrett ordered Alcalde Alejandro Seguro to hold an inquest on the killing. Seguro named six men to be on the so-called coroner's jury, including Pat's brother-in-law, Savelle Gutierrez, and Pat's friend from Sunnyside, who we already mentioned, Milner Rudolph. In the words of Mark Lee Gardner, from his book To Hell on a Fast Horse, quote, No inquest had been held at Fort Sumner for Billy's pals Charlie Bowdry and Tom Folliard. But then again, there had been no reward for either of those men. With $500 at stake, Garrett was very particular that there would be a legal paper trail to document his success. He had gone through hell collecting the last reward from the territory, so he was determined to give Santa Fe bureaucrats as little doubt as possible. End quote. By the way, very nice guy, Mark Gardner. I've actually reached out to him a few times, looking for clarification on certain topics, and he's always been a big help. When I recommend his books, or any of the books I recommend here on the Wild West Extravaganza, I am not getting paid for it. Just so you know, those are not ad spots. Those are genuine recommendations. And as far as Mark Gardner goes, I am a fan. Now, full disclosure, if you buy one of Mark's books through the link in this episode's show notes or via the books tab on my website, I do get a tiny, tiny percentage via affiliate sales from Amazon. But when I say tiny, I mean I have yet to even meet the minimum threshold to receive a payment. So we're talking fractions of pennies on the dollar. Anyway, Mark, on the off chance that you're listening, thank you, sir, for all that you do. Now, this coroner's jury examined Billy's body and then visited Pete Maxwell to hear his story. Their oddly worded finding reads as follows. We of the jury unanimously find that William Bonney came to his death from a bullet wound in the left breast near the region of the heart fired by a pistol in the hand of Pat F. Garrett. And our judgment is that the action of said Garrett was justifiable homicide. And we are united in opinion that the gratitude of all of the community is due said Garrett for his action and whom is worthy of being compensated. Now, I think it's clear that Garrett had a little part in that, right? Also, full disclosure, two of the men of this so-called jury were illiterate. So they likely had no idea what was even written in the document, at least not in the final form before they made their mark. This is used by many to question whether or not Pat really did kill Billy the Kid, but I personally think that the uh, strange verbiage is more in line with Garrett just trying to make damn sure that he was going to get paid, a precaution that I think was more than justified. That afternoon, Billy was buried as Job chapter 14 was read aloud. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And with that, Garrett dismissed his deputies and began a journey to Santa Fe, arriving on July 19th to find that the news of the kid's death had preceded him. And surprise, surprise, the powers that be once more balked at paying Garrett his reward money. Lou Wallace was no longer territorial governor, having been replaced by Lionel Sheldon, who, as luck would have it, was away in Washington, D.C. This meant that Garrett had to once more deal with William Rich, 
Same dude that made it so hard on him to collect that money the first time after you arrested Billy. And just like before, Pat ended up alright. There was another collection, with everyone from John Chisholm to Jimmy Dolan pitching in. And when it was all said and done, Garrett had once more received far more money from private citizens than he was owed by the territorial government. That said, he did ultimately receive the $500 bounty. This is another common myth used to discredit Garrett. The idea being that the government of New Mexico refused to pony up the money on account of Pat not really killing Billy the Kid. Or for at least not having sufficient proof. This is not the case. There was zero doubt that Garrett had killed Billy the Kid. It was not doubt as to the kid's death that caused the delay. It was just bureaucracy. I think they had to wait for Congress to meet again so they could approve that the money be taken out of some special account. You know how those stingy bastards like to hold everything up as long as it's not their money? But yes, Pat Garrett was awarded the $500 bounty. That is not up for question. That is not debatable. This is proven. So don't ever let anybody tell you that he was not given that money. Now, Garrett did face accusations of cowardice for his actions there at Fort Sumner, but I'm not aware of anyone making such remarks to his face. But even to this day, there are many who accuse Pat of being a coward. I guess the reasoning here is that Billy was shot in the dark without a chance to defend himself, and some even claim that the kid was unarmed. All we can really go on is the words of the men who were there, right? There were only three people in the room when Billy was shot and killed, and one of them was dead. But still, both Garrett and Pete Maxwell claimed that Billy was armed. And so did John Poe and McKinney, who saw Billy right before he dipped inside Pete's house. The body was viewed by others afterwards, and it was stated that there was indeed a knife and a pistol on the ground near the kid's hands. But there is some discrepancy. Future governor of New Mexico, Miguel Otero, who also wrote the book The Real Billy the Kid, claimed that both Delvinia Maxwell and Jesus Silva had told him that when they saw the body, there was no pistol present. This was later contradicted by Jesus Silva himself in 1938, when he told a reporter that yes, there was a pistol and a butcher knife laying near Billy's body. Now, I don't remember if I touched on this in the previous series on the kid, but there was a question as to whether or not Billy got off a shot before Pat plugged him. Pete Maxwell, Coe, and McKinney all swore that they heard three shots, as opposed to just the two that Garrett fired. Due to this, Billy's pistol was examined, and although the hammer was resting on an empty shell, it did not appear to have recently been fired. Remember, it was somewhat common for people to keep the hammer on an empty chamber for safety reasons. Mark Gardner, for one, speculates that it's possible that when Delvinia Maxwell saw the body, there was no revolver laying nearby simply because Pat likely wouldn't have taken the time to place it back on the ground after he had looked at it. And I do think that is a very likely scenario. We can speculate all we want, but as far as credible sources go, Billy did have his pistol in his hand when Garrett shot him. Do we know that with certainty? Absolutely not. There were no cameras, and as far as I know, time travel has not yet been invented. But with the evidence at our disposal, using all of our powers of logic and reasoning, I do think it's a pretty good assumption that the kid did have a revolver. With that in mind, my question is, what the hell was Pat supposed to do? Let the kid shoot first? Garrett was also accused of hiding behind Pete Maxwell's bed, or even under the bed. Pat denied this, but later said that had he known Billy was about to come in that door, he damn sure would have hidden somewhere. Garrett would later write, I started out on that expedition with the expectation of getting scared. 
I went out contemplating the probability of being shot at and the possibility of being hurt and perhaps killed, but not if any precaution on my part would prevent such a catastrophe. End quote. The idea that Pat should have challenged Billy to a duel at high noon or waited for Billy to fire first or whatever silly idea that people have about bravery truly baffles me. This was real life, not the movies. I don't know what people think Garrett should have done. He was standing in a room. He was surprised by the guy that he was hunting coming into the room in the pitch dark with a damn pistol in his hand. Somebody was going to die. Pat just happened to be a little bit quicker. And it really did occur just in a matter of seconds. Assuming the facts we have are correct and that Pat did not know that Billy was about to step into Pete Maxwell's room. It took him by surprise as much as anybody else. Billy hesitated to fire just a fraction of a second too long, and that was all it took. Vaya con Dios. Now, this is also about the same time that those rumors started coming out about Billy's body being mutilated or that he was buried missing a finger or that somebody had dug his corpse up and sold the cadaver. You can check out my recent episode titled Billy the Kid's Trigger Finger to learn more, but Pat would ultimately return and check on the grave and make sure it was unmolested. According to Teller of Tall Tales and Future Wild West Extravaganza Topic, Charlie Seringo, Garrett even went so far as to have Billy's casket dug up and make doubly sure. Take that for what it's worth, though, as Seringo did like to make stuff up. Then there's the other rumors, like Garrett held Polita Maxwell at gunpoint until the kid arrived, or that he caught Billy with Paulita mid-thrust and made up the story about Pete Maxwell's room to save her reputation. There is no basis, in fact, to any of these stories. And I assure you, this is no love of Pat Garrett that makes me say these things. There's just no evidence. If you have information to the contrary, please let me know. And I will let everybody else know. Josh at WildWestExtra.com Why didn't Garrett take a photo of a dead Billy the Kid? After all, this was standard procedure back in the Old West, right? Not really. We think it was common due to the dozen or so other photos of dead outlaws, which I'll admit are kind of cool. But the overwhelming majority of bandits were not photographed after they were killed. Hell, just think about how many of these guys that we don't even have a picture of them alive, much less dead. But Josh, Billy was the most famous outlaw of all time. They would have taken a picture of him. Once again, not really. Billy was somewhat notorious, sure. But he's way more famous now than he was in 1881. I think that's something we all got to keep in perspective. I also think Vicente Silva is a great example to use here. He, too, was an outlaw from New Mexico from around the same time period, and just like the kid, Silva's exploits and name were printed in newspapers as far away as New York City. Hell, Vicente even had twice as much money on his head as Billy did. But you've never heard of him, right? Mostly because nobody's ever made any movies about Vicente Silva. And guess what? Despite Vicente's fame, despite him being twice as wanted as the kid, there are also no death photos of him either. This whole no picture thing is just something that people fixate on that has no bearing to the facts. And then there's the logistics. There was no photographer living at Fort Sumner, and I doubt there was one within 100 miles. I'm not sure why Garrett would have gone through all the trouble to locate one, pay for him to travel all the way to Fort Sumner, while the entire time Billy's body is just getting nice and ripe in the summer heat, just to take a photograph of a dead body that everybody had already seen. I think there's something like almost 50 witnesses that we know for a fact by their names that saw Billy's body, 
And that's not counting the other hundred or so people that were at Fort Sumner on that very day. People that almost certainly attended the funeral. I know conspiracy theories are fun, and I know it sucks that Billy the Kid was shot dead at such a young age, but there is simply no substance whatsoever to the idea that it was all a hoax. Alright, I'll shut up now, get off my soapbox. Toward the end of July, Pat departed Santa Fe alone and via horseback for Las Vegas. He could have taken the train, but I guess he wanted to clear his mind. He had done his duty, despite what his critics may have said, and was likely considering his next move. Would he run for a second term as sheriff? At what point did he discover that Billy the Kid was indeed an extraterrestrial? Was it the moment before he pulled the trigger, or as they were preparing the body for burial? Is that why there were no photos of a dead William H. Bonney? Or was there a picture and the aliens stole it? Speaking of aliens, when would they come and exact revenge? And what would Pat get up to for the next 28 years of his life? You're gonna have to wait till next week to find out. And you're gonna have to listen to the rest of this series to learn why I keep bringing up aliens. I promise you, there is a reason. In all seriousness, though, it really is a shame that the interest in Garrett seems to fizzle out with the death of the kid. The rest of his life is pretty damn intriguing. And trust me when I say we've got a few more mysteries yet to discuss. One of which will be next week when we talk about Albert Jennings' fountain and Garrett's involvement. We're also going to discuss Ash Upson, Pat's encounter with Billy the Kid's brother. Uh-huh, you didn't know Billy had a brother, did you? And we're also going to talk about Garrett's time as a special ranger over in Texas. And that's just in the next episode. We've got a lot of ground to cover in this series, so please join me bright and early next Wednesday to resume this deep dive into the life and times of Pat Garrett. Thank you so much for listening. Big shout out to everybody supporting the Wild West extravaganza. It is much appreciated. Also, a big thanks to all of you who've signed up for Into History recently. I will be discussing this more in weeks to come. But just a quick reminder, you can join IntoHistory.com and access ad-free episodes of the Wild West Extravaganza, as well as the book club, the Discord server, and the soon-to-be-announced live streaming events, and a ton more. That is IntoHistory.com. Till next time, insert something clever, insert another little something clever, and one more little clever saying. Adios! Josh!